0: Well, God bless you. We apologize for being late today. We normally start on time at 11. I won't even go through the soap opera we've been through in the past 30 minutes or the past few days. Just feel like I'm running. Sometime this afternoon, I'm going to hear a knock on my door and it's going to be the rest of me dragging in. I've just been running night and day with... Going to my father's funeral, coming back, rushing to San Francisco to minister for the weekend, finding out my flight was canceled, having to drive nine hours to get home, and then get up this morning and dealing with family issues.
1: But God is good.
0: God is good all the time. So welcome, everybody. It's Papa John, Mama Jennifer here with you. And we are, again, we are doing Kingdom Discussions Today we're going to be talking about kingdom life and the importance of kingdom family. Kingdom life and the importance of kingdom family. So, let us know where you're listening from, and uh, type into the the, the chat there um, the uh, place you're you're watching from and. And, and be sure to share this. And uh, so Mama Jennifer, what you got?
1: Um. <clears throat> well, again, I'm going to start off with how good God is. And, um, you know, no matter what difficulties that we go through, our heart, our mind stays on him. And that's who keeps us in the perfect peace in the midst of a battle or uh, in the midst of obstacles. And, you know, one thing that comes to me is we're all in training. And some of the things that you go through is part of the training to get you prepared for what's coming, whether it be uh, more difficulties or harder difficulties. You know, scripture said that he hardens us to difficulties, to where the difficulties don't take you over, but you learn how to Uh, I don't know if I should say master it or not allow it to get into your spirit and cause your spirit to become ugly or to respond in a negative way, but that you just learn how to stay in the love room and you don't allow these issues to grab a hold of your emotions. That's kind of how, what I've been feeling or, you know, thinking about is, um, you know, some people wonder if what we're seeing right now, if it's not going to be the uh, predestined of what's coming, is this just going to be an ongoing uh, battle, you know, every day, are we going to be against um, familiar battles to come? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But I do know this, that God is good, the devil's bad, and that God is for us. He's not against us, and no weapon formed against us is going to prosper.
0: You know, one of the things that you deal with when it comes to your emotions is, you know, I, we used to have a tree in our backyard, and it would produce grapefruits. But it got to a point where the tree produced so many grapefruit, we just could not keep up. We got busy, then the grapefruit ripened and fell off the tree, and then you had a huge mess of rotting grapefruit lying on the ground around the tree. And so, first of all, that's why God doesn't give you more than you can handle. He only gives you the occupy the, the territory you can occupy. And when you occupy it and you're fruitful and you can you can tend to the fruit, then he'll give you more. Amen. A lot of people want more because they want. The, the prestige that comes from having more, bigger bigger facilities, more people. But God will give you what you can handle. And when he sees what you can handle, then he'll give you more. Like, for instance, the spiritual family. He'll give you family members and you'll see how you treat them and how you love them. And if you love them like he would love them, then he'll give you more. But the key is you got to take a step back and you deal with roots, not fruit. You could sit with someone in battle all day long, pointing out their fruit, condemning them for their fruit, telling them you need to change this, making them aware. People know what their fruit is. They know what their weaknesses are. They don't need you coming and reminding them every day what their weaknesses are and what their failures are. What they need is your love and your support and your prayers. And the way that you are able to overcome your emotions and overcome the things in life that try to overwhelm you it comes back to trust and having faith in God, resting in him. Amen. It's when we, we reach a point in life where we get frustrated because we're trying to accomplish things that are out of our control and out of our ability and power to accomplish. And, and, of course, it's an oxymoron because part of the walk of grace is you have to learn to let God lead you into places and to step into arenas and environments that are totally and completely out of your control, out of your ability to do one thing. And that weakness is not comfortable. Much of religion is built around uh, knowing your surroundings, knowing what you can accomplish in the flesh and staying in that place because you know at least you can control that and you can control those outcomes. It's when you step into the waters of faith in the supernatural that you go beyond your ability and beyond your scope. But I think another thing is what we all have to understand is that we have 24 hours in a day. And not only do we have 24 hours in a day, you only have so much emotional and spiritual reserve and strength. And there are things that drain your emotional and your spiritual strength. Nothing will drain your emotional and spiritual strength into some instances physical, like negative, negativity, difficulties, crises, things that just just touch you into the core of your soul and, and, and affect you emotionally. Because that takes all your creativity and all your energy away. You have nothing left to to do work, to move forward. So you have to be in control of of, uh, monitoring. Um, I had an apostle that I just met. He's a precious man of God. I never knew who he was. Uh, I think he's someone very powerful. Uh, But God put it in his heart. He wanted to meet me. So he drove over from Turlock when I was in Fairfield and came to my hotel. and We had about an hour to spend together after we talked for an hour, I wish I could have had five hours because he was just a tremendous man of God, probably 72 years old. But um, he's... Uh,
1: well, but by then, 72 years old, you've learned a lot. You've yeah. been through a lot and you've learned a lot.
0: But he was talking with me and asking my on journey. And I started describing to him my transition from Texas to here, which most of you know, did not go 100% the way we'd hoped it would go. Things that were out of our control that I had I had no control over it that took place. Um, and then, uh, you know, right now being in this office where I'm at, but I was talking with him about it and he just kind of shook his head when I was talking about this, what I'm being asked to do right now. I'm giving 10 to 12 hours of my week plus another 20 hours for the schooling I'm doing. And he kind of shook his head and he said, that's not what you're called to. That's not your, your That's not your assignment. Your assignment is nation's. Assignments not to become an educator and i know that but it kind of goes all the way back to just the battle that's been uh, in our ministry for the past 40 years where i spent 30 years battling a denomination a pyramid structure that unless you were a pastor you had no empowerment you had no finances you had no nothing to to try to do god's work and so i tried to fit myself into the mold of being a pastor just to hold the title so I could get the different tools to be able to accomplish my apostleship. And it just, it was, it was, it re, the reason why it didn't work was because number one, it wasn't my calling. I was out of place. Number two, you only have so much time and energy to give. And I could not split my time and energy between trying to be an effective pastor and then reach nations. It just didn't work. So what happened was one of the other is going to, is going to,
1: um, you got to find grace. Yeah.
0: One of the other is going to, going to, uh, be affected and can be hindered and you know and and everything about finding grace grace is not some mysterious cloud that you look for and you try to find it's not a piece of metal on the ground you got to get a metal detector and try to find grace is all about trust and just resting in god opening doors and god enabling you and you got to be able to sense when you get on a path that god's grace is not on and a good a good you know i said this earlier when you try to accomplish the work of the spirit in the flesh then you burn out that's where burnout comes from trying to accomplish something in the flesh. And and I, I, I was a master for many years at just making it happen, just having the willpower, the energy, the focus to just do it. But everything about this walk of grace in the past three years is God's been teaching us to be very sensitive to his grace and what is his grace upon. So when this apostle told me last night I needed to just refocus my energy on what my calling is, it let me realize it's not that what I'm doing to help uh, this university and help different areas that it's not a good work. It's not a good thing, but it's the good, better, and best. It's the thing that, that Mary chose. I'm just trying to keep this water away from well, my I laptop. We it. had a disaster last month with water here, and I guess we haven't learned.
1: Well, I wanted to say <laughs> yeah, something about the, the grace this part here. is that grace is God's um, God's way of saying I, this is a difficult Hi, section. Rhonda.
0: Hello, Yusuf. Hi, Ryan. Welcome. So go ahead.
1: Grace comes from God to help empower us. It he helps us in a hard situation to become manageable, easy. I don't know how how to say that other than it. Um, he helps you to work it out. He helps you to work on the parts that are difficult, but with him, he can make it easier. Um, and I'm trying to think of you know so many different instances in my life where um, something that I may not want to, I don't think I can do it. Um, It it seems too difficult or it's with difficult people. And I would just assume to, uh, to not go there. God always shows up with his grace for me. And that's lets me know I'm with you. Walk in it. I'm with you and I will help you. And I can't tell you how many times God has, uh, helped me come through and not only just come through it, but, um, there's fruit that I bore from it. Fruit came from it. And it caused me then to be able to understand and to see that I don't approach things the same way anymore. I don't approach them on the level of, do I think I can do it? Do I think that I need it? Do I think that, um, it's worth, working with the certain person or working in this situation. No, I go, God, is there, um, is there grace for this? Is there anointing for this? Is there something that I'm supposed to receive from this or pour into it for somebody else? And I think when you stop and start asking questions, not you know based on for you and what you can get from it, But what about the others? What about those that are on the other side of it that may need to hear what you have to say? And so I want to encourage people to uh, look at it that way. Because this is a time of growth. This is a time where God can prove us and place us in any situation that he wants, difficult or not, that you're willing and obedient and that his grace will always show up.
0: Amen. Hey, Kim. I was just talking with your sweet hubby, and uh, we just had a crazy morning trying to get online, but uh, yes, so true. Um,
1: Hey, Ryan. Good to see you.
0: Grace, you know, is a process of trust, trusting in God, and here's the thing about time. Everybody's clamoring for your time. Everybody wants to squeeze out what they see your value is the problem is most people don't see your true anointing and gifting they just see one measure one area that you might have and that's what they want to try to pull out of you and and, and push you into and uh, Jennifer and I were talking this morning on the way to the university how you know we can't let people try to put us in a box you know people try to box you in they want to box you in with a title like I said before I I went probably 25, 30 years bootlegging my true calling as an apostle and a prophet under the term pastor. I will tell you straight up, though I have great administrative skills, and yes, I have ability to teach and preach, I am not a good pastor. I am not a shepherd. That is probably, if I look at the five, um, uh, the fivefold, the apest, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher, I would say, I, of course, in the thumb, the apostle first. Prophet is my secondary calling. I did work as an evangelist for many years and had great success with crusades and outpourings. Then pastor and teacher, I say I'm a strong teacher, but pastor is last. So you put me in that place. is kind of like taking, you know, uh, a a very powerful quarterback, uh, you know, like um, someone that's very, very gifted, Tom Brady. Move him from quarterback one position over to left tackle, and the guy won't do anything. We saw it with Michael Jordan, who was such an incredible basketball player. In his gift, he was unstoppable. But then he tried to play baseball. He never got out of the minor leagues. Just wasn't his gift. And you can't shift. You got to know what your calling is. And you can't let people shift you into something you're not called to do. And so you got to stay in your lane. You know, you got to stay where you were created. In the beginning, the Bible says when God created the heavens and the earth, he spoke to the air. When he spoke to the air, the birds appeared. When he spoke to the waters, the fish appeared. When he spoke to the land, the mammals appeared. Each had to stay in their environment to survive. An animal in water will drown. A fish out of water will die. A bird on the ground or even in water in some cases is at danger. It's vulnerable.
1: and you know, telling a fish swim—it's already in them. It's not something that that you have to. I teach used to them. catch bass. You don't you don't yeah. teach uh, birds how to fly. Right. It's just in them, and so it's the same thing right. for all of us in our assignment, our gifts. It's just in us.
0: I used to catch bass, bass fishing, and they had to be 17 inches. And if I catch a 14-inch bass, I had to release it. I can tell you, once I pulled that poke out of the fish's mouth and sit in the water, it was gone. I didn't have to tell the fish, come on fish, swim, you know. And that's the beauty of your gifting. You know in your heart what you're called to do. You know what God's purpose is for your life, but you let people burden you down with junk and with stuff. And again, it's not even just about gifting. It's about you only got 25 hours in a day. Nobody has 40 hours in a day. We all have limited time, energy, and resources, and you got to be careful what you allow to drain off and take your, your energy and take your, your vision.
1: And, you know, the same thing, like what you were talking about, a lot of times people then turn their frustration upon the person that asked them to do something that, you know, is just not your, it's, it's not your gift. It, it's not, it's not even going to serve its purpose for you in your life and so that's when you have to just say you know thank you that you see this gift in me or that you think that I could do it however this is not this is not something that I know I'm called
0: to do but part of it is breaking the pyramid church mindset and become kingdom you see in the church mindset leaders are used to forcing people into roles they're not called to do that you got to serve here for a while then I'll let you do what you want to do so you find yourself just serving out a sentence so to speak as a slave because That's the only way you can get to what you want to do. And that's the environment. That's the environment I came up with. And you have to break that. I was talking with Jennifer how I grew up with parents that were power parents. And this is one of my teachings I have. You're either a love parent or you're a power parent. Power parents try to force people. They give rules and regulations and they threaten to get people to do what they want them to do. Love parents, I'm talking both natural and spiritual parents, you know, when you're a true spiritual father, you don't dominate someone's life. God never intended mankind to dominate people. He said to dominate the earth. That's the fish, the, the air, the fish of the water, the birds of the air, the land. That's what we're to dominate is the terra firma, not people. God never, ever That's right. designed and intended. And even God never intended for Adam to dominate Eve. He intended for them to work together as a team. And that's what help me means in the Hebrew. It means one that stands face-to-face. That's not a concept of face-to-face as in, in battle, in, 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 in struggling. It's face-to-face in honor and preferring and recognizing value.
1: Well, you know, um, most humans, they don't have that kind of nature, a, a good nature to be able to dominate or control somebody for the good. It's always going to be for what I need you to
0: be. But look at most churches. I grew up in churches where you had a a list of rules. It was never written down, but it's a list of things you couldn't do. Things you couldn't wear, ways you could not keep your hair, or if you're a man, you had to keep it at a certain place. You couldn't have facial hair. You couldn't do this. You couldn't go there. And as long as you checked all the rules off, then you were empowered with position and recognition in the church and made to be felt good. But then if if you broke the rules, then you were disciplined it was a timeout you were put in the timeout corner and that's one of the things that really caused me to step away from denominationalism is because most pastors treated people like they were 15 years old they didn't respect them as adults they didn't give them the power of choice they didn't respect their ability to make choices they dominated them and god never intended that in the kingdom it has this it has this, it has no place in the kingdom so shifting from being a power parent to a love parent, I had a great example with my son. I have a 27 year old son that is autistic and he's been in trouble, and I was in the San Francisco area, and I saw an opportunity and convinced him to let me drive him all the way here to help him. He has mental uh, uh, deficiencies, mental handicap challenges. And of course, when he got here and he gotten in, into my apartment, nine hour drive from San Francisco, to Irvine. It was a hard drive. So happy to finally have my son here to help him. Then he just flipped out because he realized that he wasn't going to have his liberty to do whatever he wants to do, his freedom to do whatever. And at first, that power parenting that I raised, was raised under, what I grew up in a domination, and even I live by as a parent, tried to take over. And I suddenly realized what I was doing and I put the brakes on it and I reversed everything. And I said, I'm not going to be the power parent. I'm going to be a love parent. Unfortunately, because I chose to be a love parent and I I just tried to appeal to him and love him, he got in his car and left. It broke my heart because all of my prayers for the past three months have been to help my son, to get him off the streets from sleeping in his car and doing the things he's doing that's destructive. But again, you have to allow people as a spiritual father. When you have sons and daughters, when you give them counsel— if they go off and try to do something different, you may warn them lovingly and say, that's not the right choice. I don't agree with you. But you let them make their decisions and you love them through it. And when they crash and burn, you don't come back and rub their nose in it and say, I told you so. You lovingly receive them back. You embrace them and you say, let's do it right this time. But that's it's, it's Jesus, that appeal of love.
1: That's why Jesus gave the parable of, or the, the story of the um, prodigal son. He taught us through that story how to be a good father. The father to, did not reject did you. How to be waiting for your yeah, son to he come didn't home refuse and him. love him. That's right. And not beat up on him for leaving and, and and you know, taking what he had given him and just ruined it, just ruined, you know, the um, the blessing. He took it and destroyed it. But the, the father was there waiting and not only just waiting but, you know, had something, the, the best meat cooking and um, put the robe on him, put the ring on him, just to show, you know, love and honor again to the son. I think that's so beautiful.
0: And the thing we can draw from this story of the prodigal son, and I can draw from it now. Yes, it broke my heart when I realized my son got in his car and left and drove away. The main reason why is because his license suspended. I pulled it up on the DMV for California and showed him, your license is suspended, you cannot drive. But he has this fixation in, from his autism that he just didn't care. He just thought, as long as I avoid police, I can still drive. See, everything is concrete to him. I was telling him, you can't drive. In his mind, that means the car is disabled or I don't have the ability to drive because he still had the ability to drive and the car would still go forward when he put it in drive. He thought, I can drive. Could not comprehend that he's breaking the law, driving with a, a, a suspended license. I could have held him down. I could have tied him to a chair. I could even could have called the police and had him arrested. But that's all being power parents. The scripture, the scriptures show that the father released the son. And even though he knew he was going to go into destruction and spend everything with riotous living, but it wasn't until the son got to the pig's pen. I hate to say it. My son's not at the pig's pen yet. It's when you get to the pig pen, that you finally come to yourself. I just hope to pray that he's not in a place of complete destruction when that happens, and it'll break my heart. But this is another just a point, point of, and I apologize for being so transparent with you guys, but this has been my whole dilemma for the past 24 hours, you know, trying to help my son. But I had to, at the very end, check my nature and my tendency to be controlling, to control him and manipulate and dominate him. That's what the denominations are powerful at in a negative way in manipulation, domination and control. Religion are masters at behavior modification. They know how to make it miserable enough and turn the screws on you to get you to do what they want. That's not kingdom.
1: My uh, granddaughter is 16 years old and she has struggled with uh, her relationship with her real father. And, um, he is um, a defiant, rebellious father, in nature, and so he—he he, that's how he fathers or he parents uh, my granddaughter, and she was so afraid of him. And I had explained to her and expressed to her um, last year. I said, "You need to write him a letter." Then, if when you try to talk to him, <clears throat> and um, he, you're terrified of trying to think of what you wanna say because he's intimidating while he's just staring at you. I said, then you probably need to write the letter. Well, she called me just last week and she said, "Um, I'm doing what you told me to do a long time ago. And I said, what was that? And she said, I wrote my dad a letter. Well, as we were talking, um, I was sharing some thoughts with her and she kept telling me to stop so that she could write all this down. Well, um, she had wrote the letter, packed it up with the letter, the uh, iPhone, and the iPad that he had given her. And she basically was telling him, I'm taking my life back. And, you know, I am not sitting here and telling you that I agree with, um, if this sounds like a rebellious person to her father, she's not rebellious at all. She's just been afraid of him all her life. And now that she's growing older and She has taken her steps back and has evaluated her dad and how he operates. She can just see that it's so dysfunctional. And she would rather part ways to be able to hold on to any kind of relationship that may come back up around maybe later on in life. And so, you know, I was thinking about that when John was talking about a power parent. It's so hard to have a relationship with somebody like that. Because you throw around your weight of who you are and expect that person to let go of who they are to become what you want them to be.
0: Well, in the journey of learning to become a spiritual father and a spiritual mother, it does parallel with your tactics, if I could say, or your personality or how you view natural parenting. Because spiritual parenting follows the same process. And you can't control people. can't dominate them Mm -hmm. you can't force them pray for them i mean you got to love them yes and through relationship you have to influence them as a father as a mother you gently entreat them and yes it's frustrating when you gently entreat somebody and you love them and you beg them to not make a poor decision but they choose to then you have to let them face the consequences. Kim, I'm reading your
1: your comment. You said your dad was a power parent. Um, I just wonder how you viewed God as a father to you since your natural father was a power parent. You know, we're learning this in um, inner healing class that we were given to take at the university here. And um, John is very good at writing out his thoughts because he's very good at always expressing his thoughts. But I am not. And so um, maybe sitting down and talking to you, I can express it, but writing it down, I can't do it. It's so hard and difficult.
0: And some of the hardest things to do is is to submit yourself to inner healing when you yourself know you teach it and you give it. I've written three books on inner healing. I've done inner healing classes for 30 years around the world. I've done seminars. I've held conferences on inner healing. I've, I've put out numerous teachings on it and but then going through this inner healing inner healing class i had to come the realization that even at my point at the age of 57 being in ministry 40 years you know uh, i needed inner healing i needed healing and because inner healing is like layers of an onion Mm -hmm. and there are areas that god takes care of but then there's more that god has to get into that you may be blind blind to And as I began to dive into this inner healing class, I had to set my pride aside and the fact that I have taught inner healing classes and that I'm, you know, and just, you know, because it's like if you had a heart attack, I don't care if you're the greatest surgeon in the world, it'd be crazy for you to lay down on a, a gurney and say, hand me a scalpel and you're just sitting there, you know, fixing yourself. And that's what people have a mistake sometimes when they get a lot of knowledge and learning in a certain area. They think they can just fix themselves because, oh, I know it all, I've taught it. I know inner healing, I've done it. And it becomes a pride issue when really there are times we have to lay down and let somebody help us with areas. I mean, even with my son, I was surprised to see that power parent uh, side of me just, just burst forth. And I had to stop everything midstream. Because I was getting angry. I was getting, I was making threats. I was doing all the things that I had growing up as a power parent done to me and the things I did within the denomination because it was all around me. And it it takes intentionality to change these thought processes and responses to where we stay in the love room and we respond with love, respond as a father would. And we entreat sons and daughters in the spirit. Gently. Amen. With love. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry, Kim, I didn't see you type in there. I administered inner healing. I, I wasn't talking to you when I said those statements a while ago. That was not a correction. But yes, I do know you and Scott are powerfully used in inner healing. And I'm sure you understand there are even layers that you have to get help with. Because it's not even stuff from the past. We're always dealing with new pain, new disappointments, new um, uh challenges that, that we you know I, I I've told Jennifer you know we're here and you know we both came through very difficult divorces that that I didn't want and 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 it's just you have to learn to accept things that are out of your control and just if God allows it then there's a reason for it but there's a lot of woundings and stuff from that that I told her I said I think it's healthy for us to find a good marriage counselor just to unpack some stuff just to talk stuff through because, you know, there's just so much you carry into relationships. And and we're taught in religion to just fake it till you make it. Just push it down. Just suck it up. You know, put on your big boy pants. Get back in that pulpit and just preach. I can tell you how many times I would get in the pulpit and preach and turn the house upside down. And people would prophesy to everybody in the house. Miracle signs, wonders, deliverance things set free and they thought I was all that in a bag of chips and had no idea I was dying on the inside. I had to keep it all hidden. and just Until one day, that's when God came to me in 2016 and he said, I want you to lay down and take your armor off because you are so deeply wounded, you don't realize how deeply wounded you are. If you keep trying to go forward with your armor on, you're going to die doing my work standing in your armor. So I did. I took my armor off and let God strip me down to the simplicity of a son. It's very humbling. Very humbling to go from climbing on planes every week and flying around the world and being recognized and honored with titles to standing on a pew and everyone just knew me as John. And that was it. And so, being tra- treated basically with disdain and dismissed. But I endured it because I knew it was necessary to get inner healing and become a true son.
1: We have a question What's the difference between power parenting versus being a respectful parent or leader?
0: The difference is respect is not demand that it's earned, that's Anthony. Right. You don't demand respect. You don't force it. You earn it. Mm-hmm. And if someone chooses not to respect you, you have to be humble enough to accept it and release them to do what they feel to do because everybody has to face the consequences for their, their actions. And that's the hardest thing for a leader to do is to stop taking responsibility for other people's actions. You have to let people have the consequences and responsibility for their actions and be willing to let them. Jesus knew that Judas was a thief, but he still gave him the bag. Mm -hmm. I believe that was a redemptive move, not only showing the true nature of a father that trusts a son and wants to believe the best in a son, though he realized his son is a crook, but hoping that somewhere Judas would be influenced by being around Jesus and would change and repent. But we know Judas never did. That's why he hung himself.
1: You know, um, when I was growing up, I remember the first time that, I went to the movies and my mom found out and she said um, she asked me about that. I go and I said, yes. And she said, well, you know what? You're of age and I can't keep you. I can't tell you what to do somewhere. You're going to have to get your own walk with God. And I'll tell you what, that scared me. That really scared me to to think. Now it's just me and God. I got to make the decisions with God for my life. I don't look at my mom and dad no more. I can't hold on to their coattail and just ride it out with them. No, somewhere, this is where um, the difference, Anthony, between that I think of power parenting and respecting is when to let go, when to say, um, you know, now you're old enough to make your own decisions. And I don't want to say your own decisions because you're you're a parent and you always want to be there to, to guide and to counsel. But, you know, John always said that when, uh, people don't ask for, how do you say that? Um, when you don't ask for,
0: um, I, don't, I have no idea what oh, you're saying. I'm you know, sorry.
1: you, um, when people don't ask for your thoughts, your Your uh, feelings on something, and you give it anyway. It's not earned. It's not. What I say is
0: any counsel or advice that is given without being asked for is always resented. Uh
1: huh.
0: Let me tell you why. People go to these power environments, these environments where pastors manipulate, dominate, and control people. And that's that's. I'm not against denominations. I'm against denominationalism that controls people, that tries to use behavior modification to get what they want, that creates tiers of power in a pyramid and and gives you treats for doing good and and then punishes you when you don't do what they they want. And all the the psychological, just toxic environments that take place in these these denominational circles. But anytime somebody does not, when you feel like I'm just going to go tell them what they need to do, you've just placed yourself in the place of God. Mm-hmm. Quit trying wow. to be God. Yeah, There can only be one God. Yep. If I'm a spiritual father, I don't have the right to go tell someone what to do. If they come and ask me for advice, I'll give them advice. But if I see, the problem is if you correct somebody and you don't have a relationship with them, you haven't developed that intimacy of a true father-son relationship or father-daughter relationship, when you correct them, they will always viewed as abuse because of the environments they came out of. You have to first establish that relational connection where they know you love them, that you want what's best right. for them. You're not trying to manipulate them. Yes. You're not trying to dominate them. Yeah. You're not trying to control for a certain outcome and purpose. I, I, I Even all the way up to when I was in Houston, when I was working with a, a 75-year-old leader that was a powerful leader, I could always tell when he was giving me advice that was manipulative because he was trying to control me into a certain area. It had nothing to do with my future. Everything to do with to marginalize me and control me for what he was trying to do within the church he was leading. And that's so sad. Yeah. Because I realized that he wasn't speaking to me the word of God, the counsel of God. Mm -hmm. And that's why you be careful what authorities you place yourself under. Mm -hmm. Because when you place yourself in authority, God expects you to honor that authority. Let God place the authorities in your life. Don't recognize illegitimate authorities that demand to control you. I remember recently I was speaking at a church in Modesto. It's a church that was independent, and I was staying at the Double Tree Hotel. And there's a pastor in that city that used to be the assistant general superintendent for the denomination that I used to be part of. Very powerful man. And uh, he was there, and he was staying in the same hotel. And I remember uh, I was standing at the curb waiting for the pastor to come pick me up, and he came and stood next to me, and I recognized him. So I greeted him. He was shocked to see me. And of course, he said, what are you doing here? You're on vacation? Well, who in the right go, mind goes to Modesto for vacation? It's like a, it's not a vacation destiny. It's, it's kind of a gang infested town. And uh, I said, no, I'm here preaching. Well, his head snapped up and his eyes glared because he immediately wanted to know who I was preaching for because he thought it was in, within the control <laughs> of what he was over. And I smiled and I said, don't worry, sir. It's not anybody that's under your power. And control. So
1: you didn't ask for permission.
0: Just the idea that wow. he was mad and wanted to know who would dare have me preach for them because I'm no longer part of that denomination. But that's, the, that's what I'm talking about. That's the toxic environment of manipulation, denomina, de, domination, and control. That you've got to rid yourself out of it. Amen. So what about children that aren't adults, 13 years old? That's a little different, Kim, because you have responsibility Amen. as a parent. You can't allow a child who has not developed their mind fully yet to make decisions that are destructive. That's not where you lovingly let them just go out in the road and get hit by a car. No, as a parent, you, you yell at them and say, stop, and you grab them and you pull them back. That's different. I'm not talking about parenting in that sense because you do have a sense of, of, of responsibility Amen. on that measure. But once someone becomes an adult, it's not treating adults as children. That's our discussion today when we talk about power parenting. No, I mean, uh, if, yeah, that's, yes, that's right, Kim. No, that's, you don't just sit back and watch your kids destroy their life when they're, when they're under your uh, responsibility and control. Uh, that's different. Amen. But again, there's loving ways. And I found, especially like teenagers, there comes a point in time that I quit spanking my kids. I didn't discipline them that way. I started doing exactly what they would experience in life. That is, I took away things they wanted to do. Their cell phone. Their their, their privilege time with their kids, with their friends. You know, their stuff like that. If they disobeyed, there were consequences. Because that's what life is. You jump in your car and you drive... 80 miles an hour in a a 50 mile an hour zone. The policeman's going to pull you over. He's not going to yell at you. He's not going to get angry. He's not going to get red in the face. He's just going to calmly ask you for your license and registration, write you a ticket, and say, "Please sign here and be at court." And you're going to face the consequence. So that's really, I believe, you got to make the shift as a parent once your kids get, you know, I don't know, 13, 14, teens. You start teaching them there's consequences for your actions. That's right. You don't save them from their consequences.
1: That, and, that's the age when most kids think that they know everything, anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, by the time they hit start their teenage years, it's like, oh, mom and dad just they just don't get it. They just don't.
0: Yeah. So when I'm talking about power parenting, I'm not talking about being a strong parent because you know, you know, I can remember I, I we had strong kids. They were very, very type A personalities. D's. I'm strong D. So my kids <laughs> they got my D. And they were like probably five and six years old. But I had hired, I had asked our youth pastor to watch them while we went and did something for like two hours. Well, I came home early because what we did ended early. And I walked in and my kids were tearing up Jack, fighting, throwing stuff, screaming, pulling to his hair. And Lance Kidwell, who was a very laid back, um, uh, he was a C- um, s uh, not s his personality of just very very calm he's sitting there saying kids don't do that don't don't fight don't do that and they were just running over him well, i walked in and we took care of business and, and you know and and what i'm trying to say is when you're a leader and you have people that are a strong personality that strong deep personality it's not if but when they are going to challenge your authority and you got to be able to meet them right where they're at with firmness and with love, but you're not running over me. No, you're not doing that. I'm sorry because they have to test their boundaries. And once they see, then they back off. And if they went over you, you're done. You're done as a leader. So there is times that you have to stand your ground and be very firm, but it's with love. Amen. What I'm referring to is when you're a spiritual father and you're trying to guide someone and you're giving them counsel, but then you watch them do something different. Don't ever punish them. Punishment is never something God does. God's not a punisher. Now, in the end, our actions will punish us if we don't repent. <clears throat> and there is a judgment for that. But that's not the meanness of God. That's the fairness of God. He's a just God. But you got to be willing to release people to make decisions, even if they're the wrong decisions, and be there to, to catch them when they fall, and to lovingly guide them, and show them. And I've had times where I've had someone who just completely disregarded my counsel and made a huge mistake, and they knew they messed up. When I sat down and talked with them, I said, well, are you ready now to let me help you? We tried it your way. Look where it got you. Are you ready to try something different? But I do it gently in treating them as a father. That's good. All right. Well, we need to go ahead and wrap up. We're about out of time. We've gone actually a little bit over. We know, keep this to 30 minutes, but um, it's been great. Thanks for your questions. We love you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your concern. If you would like to know more about Spirit Led Ministries, please visit our website at spiritled.net. And uh, you can find out more about Spirit Led Family, the relational network that we lead. I went ahead and typed in our website on the, 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 the chat. It's also here on the screen. And, of course, if you would like to support us, that's one way you can do it. But we love you. Love you. Thank you so much for – yes, 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 Kim. I was going to pull that up, and I'm just so tired in my mind from these events in the past 24 hours. I couldn't think of the Scripture, but the Bible does say that fear is related to punishment. And God is not a punisher. He doesn't punish. He corrects. He disciplines.
1: Those he loves.
0: Anytime you want to punish somebody, that's your own carnal nature of getting even because you're angry. Don't ever punish. Correction is always given with love with the intent of not hurting somebody and setting them straight, but teaching them a lesson. That's not love.
1: Yeah, and um, Jesus talked about not breaking their spirit. You know, that's what you don't want to do in, in the correction.
0: Right. right. You, you mold their spirit. You you direct them, but you don't want to crush them. That's right. He said, a bruised reed will he never break. A smoking flax he will not quench. Okay, guys, this is a great discussion. <laughs> we're way over time, so we're going to get off. We love you. Thanks, Kim, for jumping on. Rhonda, God bless you. Amen. Oh, Rhonda, I didn't realize that. Um, I kind of remember where you're at, Rhonda. Rhonda, she- do me a favor. Inbox me a message. I don't know I think, Rhonda, we met you in January doing yeah. a hub up by Oakdale. Yes, yes, yes. I'm in California now. Yeah. We've lost contact. Uh, inbox me, Rhonda, or email me. Email me at my, uh, go to the spiritled.net and, and just email me from the website. And I would love to set up a time to, to come up there and help you with a, a, a House Fire Hub. So, um, oh, I didn't know that. You can reach up here and grab that and put it on the screen. That is so cool. I just learned something by accident. (laughs) So cool. Okay, guys, we're going to get off now. We love you so much. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.
1: Bye.